Hey, Three Crosses Church family, this is AJ Venegas, Director of Life Groups and Discipleship here at Three Crosses, and we're back with the Going Deeper podcast, talking about sacred selfies in our identity portion of this series. And so with that, let's go deeper. Well, by popular demand, we are back here on the Going Deeper podcast talking about some of the things we've wrestled with in the sermon. So sitting across from me is Pastor Danny Strange. Pastor Danny, welcome back to the hot seat. I'm excited to be here. It's fun to, like you said, back by popular demand. We got to, you and I got to sit down with somebody who's been a faithful podcast listener for the last 30 days. So thank you, AJ, for putting together the 30 day challenge for us. And uh, the first question she asked was, I want to know what's on the cutting room floor. It's like, okay, she's like a longtime listener of the Going Deeper podcast. So let's hit some more cutting room floor topics today. And that's what we're here for. Uh, We have launched into the second part of a Sacred Selfies series talking about identity, and that is derived from Colossians 3. So we're going to be, I want to break down Colossians 3 for us for any of you listening Um, and we'll jump into conversation. So Colossians 3 verses 1 to 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so right off the top of the bat, I see a couple of things. Um, It seems like Paul is adamant about getting the the church at Colossae to set their minds, set their hearts on things above. I see language about Christ being seated at the right hand of God. I see um, things, the juxtaposition between things above and not earthly things. And it reminds me of uh, when I was studying in school, all of the epistles, I came up with like this acrostic to kind of remember what's going on. And one of the acrostics in my notes that I came across with Colossians was, the crazy Colossians, <laughs> because um, we're ha- we're hopping in halfway in this book, Colossians three, and so I was wondering if we could catch up our listeners as to what's going on in Colossians and uh, why is Paul so adamant about getting their minds and their hearts set on the things above. Yeah, I think the the verse and concept that pops out for me first in the book of Colossians is from Colossians chapter one, where Paul says about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for all things were created through him and by him. And kind of keeps going on talking about how amazing and sufficient Jesus is, this one who is in the heavenly places, who created all things, who holds all things together, and yet who came onto our earth to redeem us and bring us back uh, into his reality with himself. And, uh, I think as you read through the book of Colossians and you read the background, you see that that these folks were obviously getting very confused and off track with tons of different messages, messages about worship and Sabbath and holy days and food, messages that allowed them to do some crazy sinful things in religious, quote unquote, religious worship. Just, just getting very confused is what the real core of the message of Christianity is. So it does feel like Paul is saying, hey, it's about Jesus. Let's remember what Jesus did, what that means for us, and how that should affect our life on earth while we prepare to be with him forever in the heavenly places. So if you read Colossians 2, if you're interested, I'd encourage you to go read those uh, 
especially verse 18, I think it talks specifically about some of the things they're wrestling with. Uh, and yeah, it's very interesting to see that Paul argues in the negative against these false teachers. And then Colossians three comes and he starts talking in this positive sense of what Christians are supposed to be all about, which leads to chapter three, verse three, which says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so the question here, uh, stems from your sermon where it seemed like the key to understanding what's going on is understanding that you have died. That simple three word phrase, you have died. And I think this conceptually makes sense to a lot of us, like coming to the end of ourselves, especially those who have experienced the gospel and then have been transformed by Jesus. But, um, really when you think about this term, you have died, it's kind of interesting because we really haven't died yet or else we wouldn't be talking right now. I haven't physically died. And, you know, even if we spiritualize this, I still have attributes about myself that make me who I am. And so I'm wondering, you know, with all these things uh, that get flooded in terms of conversations about identity, like my race, my gender, my job description, whatever it is, fill in the blank, all these different things that make me who I am. How do I see that? in terms of my death in the Christian worldview. This idea of dying as a Christian is something that Paul does talk about quite a bit. Think of a famous verse from Galatians where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live uh, by faith in the Son of God who who died for me, right? Delivered himself up for me. Uh, And kind of the core of Paul's gospel is this idea that... uh, it's almost, a, on one hand, this is a fact that he stands on. On the other hand, you almost feel like he's reminding himself daily, like this Jesus teaching of take up your cross daily and follow me, that this almost like mantra for ourselves, hey, remember, I'm dead. It's not about me. I'm dead. It's not about what I want. I died, right? It's not about living for my own passions anymore. I don't even exist anymore, right? My life now, I live for him because when he died, I died with him. For us as Christians, we see this in our in our baptism, where uh, we have this image that I've been buried with Christ. In a sense, our baptism, which is a celebration, almost reads like a memorial service, where it's like we're buried in the ground, in the waters, and then we come up again. It's like we get to live Good Friday and Easter Sunday and be reminded that as we come out of this water, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so I do think he's kind of going back to this place that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ— you, as you used to know you, cease to exist. And so whatever that means, and it probably means a lot more than we even realize, but whatever that means in our daily life, we have to constantly remind ourselves, it's not about me. My agenda doesn't matter. My passions aren't what I should follow. I'm dead by all accounts. And I have this new life. And this life is lived in Christ, for Christ, by the power of Christ, and to the glory of Christ. Right after that phrase, you have died, it leads uh, into verse four. um, And it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so I'm super excited because I get to begin to ask the skeptic questions once again in these podcasts. Um, But... When you see these words, your life is hidden with Christ. And then the following verse when it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
it almost starts to seem that, hey, there's this like really deep union that happens uh, between us and Christ. But the question I want to bring to the table is how deep does that union actually go? Because I know there's conversations about, hey, when we die, we actually become gods. This idea of theosis or divinization, um, when we die, we actually become gods. Yet again, there's people that believe, yeah, there's still going to be separation between the two. Like we're going to know who we are and Jesus is going to be this separate entity, separate being. So I'm wondering, we talked a lot about like finding yourself in Christ and union with Jesus. I'm wondering if you could help us unpack uh, the extent to which that's true. I think a lot about the the incarnation of Jesus when he left the heavenly places exclusively, put on flesh and dwelt among us. One of the ways that we understand this conceptually, theologically, is that Jesus added to his divinity humanity. And now Jesus was fully God and fully man simultaneously. So one thing that I think it's important we know that this teaching is not teaching is that the opposite is not true. That when we become Christians, we do not add divinity to our humanity. We do not become united with Christ in the sense that we as fully human. Now, also, we are fully God or partially God or we're becoming divine. God is always God. He is always separate Mm. in that sense that we are always the humans and he is always the God and Jesus is always the God man. Um, We never become divine. And yet, part of this this picture of union with Christ is in this tension that we retain our humanity. We do not enter into divinity at any level, but somehow we have a deeper union with Christ probably than we even imagine. Hmm. And there's a lot of helpful analogies we see in the New Testament and even in preaching and teaching to help us understand these concepts. You know, you might hear someone, I talked about on Sunday being super glued with Jesus, or you may have heard a pastor say, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus, right? These are all analogies. They're not necessarily from the Bible specifically, but they might be a little bit truer than then we wrap our mind around, right? I think about an analogy in the scriptures, like we are the body of Christ, right? We are not divine. We are not Christ's body in that sense. But at the same time, I wonder if we are not more connected with Jesus than we realize that Mm -hmm. somehow he's invited us into this union with him that is more than just a relationship like with a friend, but closer to some sort of connecting relationship, almost like when you think about a covenant relationship with a spouse, where you're not merely choosing to be married, but Jesus says, you're no longer two, but one flesh. Somehow something new has been created that you have union with this spouse that is more intimate than you can even wrap your mind around. Mm -hmm. And we get glimpses of this same kind of idea as Jesus prays, I think in the garden before his death for all believers. And he prays that we might be one uh, with the father. We might be one in him like he has been one with him. Uh, And so there's this concept of somehow we enter into this relationship with the triune God that is deeper and more covenantal than just a relationship as we use that term. But at the same time, we aren't becoming him at any level. He is still holy and set apart. And yet, right, there's something to these images that they may be truer than we even imagine. Hmm. 
you know, if that's true, I'm just listening to you talk. If that's true, it just kind of brings a new depth to who we've become in Christ, like this new um, identity engulfed in the Trinity, whatever that looks like, that tension between retaining ourselves and also entering into that mysterious union. I think what this depth brings really affirms what you try to do in the sermon, which is bring something deeper beyond this conversation about identity. And it seems like our world is really wrapped up in placing identity at the crux of who we are. You talked about how sometimes it's ascribed to us, sometimes it's discovered inside of us, yet you said that the truest thing is our union with Christ. And, you know, if everything you're saying is true, it's just so mind-boggling. And so I'm wondering for this last question here, if you could help us understand this wrestling match we have with our culture around identity, because it seems like we already start off on the wrong playing field if we're saying that the, the sum of us essentially is wrapped up in this term identity. So could you help us understand that a little bit more? I think you're right. We end up on the wrong playing field. I think to be fair to our culture, if we do not believe as a culture in a playing field in the heavenly places, if we right. don't believe in God, then this is the only playing field we have That's is yeah. us in this body on planet earth and culture. And so I think using the tools we have as culture, the best way that we can understand life and flourishing is in terms of this concept of identity labels. Uh, kind of the image I get in my own mind is almost like this is the the pond that I'm splashing around in or the box that I'm living in. Uh, and so whatever that identity is, whether it's our vocational identity, our Myers-Briggs identity, our sexual gender identity, whatever it is, it's almost like we try to find ourselves by putting a label around ourselves and saying, okay, if I can just learn what it means to have this label on me and walk in it, that I can flourish, right? And so for better or for worse, right? I remember reading a, a great book uh, called Quiet by Susan Cain on the power of introverts. Right? And I read this book and I just, the words jumped out the pages at me and I thought, man, this is me. Like I'm an introvert, right? I just kind of put that name tag on myself. I'm like, this is so helpful. This is why, right? I don't want to go to that party. This is why I, I have such a hard time meeting new people. This is why I just love days of solitude and being alone. Like this is so helpful. And for about a week, week and a half, two weeks after reading the book, I just felt like a whole new world opened up where like this label gave me life. But then I had this phenomenon where I started realizing that things that used to be easy to me were becoming more and more difficult. I would go to a party. And before I loved parties, right? I didn't necessarily love meeting new people, but I'd gravitate towards the people I liked. But now I found myself just getting this anxiety pulling up at any party. And it was like there was something in me saying, hey, this is not a place I should be as an introvert, right? Or uh, I got a bunch of anxiety around just sitting down for coffee with somebody and having conversations. And I would just think like, I have to get out of here. This is not where an introvert should be. And I realized after a stepping into this new identity that freed me for a moment, it started to kind of rewire my brain or something. And I found myself being suffocated by this label more than I was freed by it. And I wonder how much that is true with, with these different aspects of identity that sometimes come and unlock a key and give us some life, but can suffocate us at the same time where we're thinking, I shouldn't be here. I'm a this or a that or a blank or man, I just realized like, this is not what I should do with my life. I'm a Enneagram, whatever, or I'm a Myers-Briggs, whatever, or I'm called to be a doctor or I need to be a single person, or I never had a chance to to be with multiple people before I settled down. All of these things that like this label, we realize, oh, maybe that's the secret. It gives us this new box or pond or 
you know, sandbox to live in, uh, but also becomes the prisons, the prison walls that surround us. And what I wonder is when we talk about a concept like identity in Christ, if that concept is not as imprisoning as every other concept where I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I can imagine a person as a Christian saying, oh, now I get it, right? Kind of like the introvert question. I'm supposed to be a Christian, right? And so that's why prayer is awesome. That's why I love going to church now. I'm a Christian now. This makes so much sense. But then a few weeks or a few months or a few years after stepping into this Christian identity, it becomes more of a prison than a new exploration area. And we start getting antsy and thinking, I need to get out of this thing. What is wrong with me? I think that might be the problem with the whole concept of identity identity is that we were not meant to find ourselves by exploring which box best defines us. And when I look at a text like this and like these in all of Colossians 3, I get a bigger, higher image that Paul is saying, listen, you are not defined by anything. In fact, you're dead and your life has been hidden with Christ in God, right? You live above this earthly plane and you can look down from this heavenly place upon all these different boxes. And yeah, you can figure out how to navigate life in the midst of this. Hey, maybe the introvert part of you uh, is going to be helped by solitude, silence, prayer, fasting, these different disciplines that help you activate that. But maybe God is inviting you to grow towards we might what we might understand is extroversion and growing your love and your charity and your ability to serve folks, to share the gospel. Maybe you can be activated in your life by stretching out of that box. It doesn't need to confine you because you don't live on this playing field anymore. You live in this higher reality where you can look upon all the different labels the world has to offer and more, like we said on Sunday, as a stewardship to just say, okay, God, this is how I feel. This is what I, I desire this is what I want. This is who I think I am. What what would you call me to do with this if I truly am dead? My life is hidden with Christ in you. How, how do I respond to these desires warring within me? Which should I pursue? Which should I reject? And which should I just realize is just part of my transformation journey? So my thought is maybe identity is a concept that's helpful to a point, but when we try to find our being, our hope, our reason for living in the midst of identity, this place that we thought was a place of exploration becomes the prison yard that confines us pretty quickly. Well, I think the idea of union with Christ is something that, you know, me personally, uh, continuing to wrestle with the implications there. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that, hey, this is maybe a new concept. And so, uh, this has been a great episode to get our wheels turning a little bit in our minds about what does it mean that our lives are hidden with Christ and Christ is our very life. Uh, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so Pastor Danny, as we learn how to steward what God has given us here, uh, I look forward to further conversations down the road. Me too. We should talk again next week because we got a, another great concept in verses five through 10. All right. Sounds good. I'll see you then. Yeah.